Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Are you ready for Brexit on the 29th of March? That's what it was when I started preparing my talk. Wow. I was meant to be talking on, um, well, we're doing real, aren't we? And I was meant to be talking on debt and the challenges of debt. And I thought that's a really good topic. Many people face debt and the worry of debt and the concern. And just a couple of weeks ago, I thought, this is not the right topic for now. We've got to be talking about something that everybody is talking about. And the church are saying nothing about. Everywhere you go, people are talking about it. And, and maybe you're sitting here saying, God, the only place of sanctuary, the only place I can come is on Sunday morning church. They never speak about Brexit. It's my safe zone. Sim, you've ruined it for me. But I just thought, you know what, if we don't talk about it, the assumption is the church has no interest in what is happening in our nation or no care for what is going on around us. And that's not true. And it's all been all over our newspapers. We've seen it. We've heard about it. But if we're going to do real here, I do believe we need to talk about it. Now, I, I personally am a bit of an anti-politics in the church. And I mean that with sort of the party politics. I've got, I've got no real time for sort of fighting different corners and different colors within the church and making one particular party more Christ-like than another. Uh, but I do believe in getting involved with our society and participating in grassroots politics and caring for those around us and creating systems to bring change. We do have a responsibility, we'll talk about this in a moment, about getting involved. But I am also nervous that what I don't want to say is some kind of, here's the party line of what we should do as Freedom Church. And here's what I think as a, as a leader here. I want us to talk about what is our Christian response to all that we see going on around us. Is there a Christian response? Or should we just carry on fighting like we have done for three years? Let me give some of you a brief um, history lesson on Brexit. I'm sure you've heard it all. Uh, but maybe some of those uh, younger members amongst us. The history is like this. In 19, I love this bit, in 1953, the AEC was created. All right? a, few, a few European nations got together that would organize ourselves, a bit of a group to kind of recover from the war. In 1963, we asked to join and everyone said no. We said, can we join in this little party of countries? I went, no, you can't join us. It took us 10 years to join in 1973. And then 1975, people said, actually, we're not sure we want to stay. We want to leave. We had a referendum in 1975. 67% of people said, actually, we'd like to remain. And a new party was formed called the STB. Some of you remember the, the STB party that was formed around that time. In 84, Margaret Thatcher was our prime minister, and she demanded the payments to the EEC, the forerunner to the EU, would be reduced because we were paying ex excessive amounts compared to other nations. 93, John Major. Some of you remember these sort of names, the Maastricht Treaty. Uh, this became where the EU sort of actually became a reality. And most European nations participated in the EU. And we had what was known as the Eurozone or the Euro currency. If you know what a franc is, then you're over a certain age. Because we don't have francs anymore, do we? You go over to France, you buy things with euros or lira. They, you have to have thousands of you to buy anything anyway. Uh, but you have this different currency. And, and there was this phrase used about the UK... Uh, that's often known as an awkward partner with the EU. There's often been a reference to England, maybe it's because we're in Ireland, there was this kind of uncomfortable relationship. And uh, do you remember that whole thing we had over mad cow disease? 
the British beef was not allowed into the EU, and there were fights that took place. I also discovered in my little bit of research, it took us 27 years to persuade the rest of the EU that British chocolate could be sold in Europe. Do you remember you used to go to Europe and you couldn't get yourself a Cadbury's bar? It took 27 years of fighting so we could sell Cadbury's, which is now American-owned, into EU. What a great history. The Lisbon Treaty, giving Brussels broader powers, and then we had the 2016 referendum on the June the 23rd. 30 million of us voted. Some 71% of the nation voted. And as many of you will know, 52% said we want to leave, and 48% said we want to remain. In fact, the word leave and remain have never been so powerful, have they? I don't remember anyone saying remain, and we all went, oh, we know what you mean. Suddenly, it's this new language. And then 2017, on March the 29th, the Prime Minister, Theresa May, triggered what's known as Article 50, saying we're, we're going to leave, aren't we, in two years' time. And here we are on March the 24th, 2019, five days away from the first leaving date. And we might be leaving in April. We might be leaving in May. We might not be leaving at all. I find it fascinating looking around us right now. We are in a, we are in a situation we've never been in before. A million people marched into London to declare that they wanted a, a people's vote, a second vote, a, another chance to vote again. For almost five million people have voted online for a petition saying, actually, we don't want it at all. We want to revoke Article 50 completely. Can we just get rid of the whole thing? Can we kind of be friends with the EU and, and just start over? Or some have said, actually, this weekend, the story these coming up in my news cycle is, can we just have a change of prime minister? Can we just ask Theresa May, thanks very much. Uh, you're probably exhausted by now, bless her. Uh, whatever you think, that's a tough job for anyone right there, isn't it? And uh, could we have a change that would help things? It's been quite a challenging few years for us as a nation, hasn't it? Wherever I've travelled in this country or overseas, people often want to talk about Brexit. People have opinions, have strong opinions of what they believe. Whether they are Christians or not, they have an opinion. Arguments, I've heard many of them for and against. If you're still there thinking, what's the EU ever done for us? I can tell you, they've cleaned up our beaches. They've given us paid holiday time. They've improved our air quality. They've made our holidays cheaper. And they've ensured a bottle of Prosecco is less than ever used to be before. It's not the important things we come out of today. But then I hear people say, oh, yeah, but England, we're a great nation. We've got great history. We've overcome stuff. We've done incredible things. The empire and all this kind of nostalgic stuff appears. And I'm like, but is, is that what God is really interested in? The world has changed. History informs us, but new history is being made all the time. What does God want to say to us today as Christians? And I've heard Christians with some very strong opinions. You may have seen or heard stuff online. I've heard prophetic words that I, I have, honestly, a real concern about. I think I've heard people say that the EU is demonic and, and the Christian nation needs to rise again, or the Christian nation of, 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 of the UK. And I'm like, I don't think that's true. I think God loves his people. His people don't just look like English people. They look like people. God loves people. The EU is a system, but Europe is a group of nations. And God loves the world so much, he gave his only son. It doesn't say God loved the UK so much, all right? And he's punished them by being part of the EU. God loves people. And we've got to be really careful when we, when we weigh up prophetic words of what people feel that God might be saying. To weigh them and go, God, does that carry your heart? Or does that come, carry someone's opinion? 
And we are called to weigh up prophetic words. Just because someone well-known said it doesn't mean it's right. It just needs to be weighed up and considered. And recognize that we all prophesy in part and we just speak in part. That when we hear something, learn to assess, actually, God, does that align with your word? Does that align with your spirit? Or is that just someone's thought dressed up in a thus saith the Lord moment? What I do want to say this morning before we get into the scripture is I do believe that times of great awakening often follow times of great crisis. You look through revival history, times of great awakening of people turning to Christ come at times of great crisis, where there is great uncertainty and great um, worry about the future. Is an opportunity for people to turn to God in a new way. Could it be that this challenge we're facing of Brexit in our nation right now is an opportunity for God to move like he's never moved before? Lottie and I often talk about the fact that one of our greatest spiritual encounters we ever had in our lives was, was what we was referred to as the Toronto Blessing of 1994. 25 years ago, God moved in a powerful way in a vineyard church in Canada. And it swept around the globe. And we saw incredible moves of God and people experiencing God in fresh ways. That was 25 years ago. Our kids have never experienced that. Maybe some of you have never experienced God moving in that way. Maybe there's a chance now where God is rattling our nation. Could there be a chance to respond and say, God, what would you want to do? We've tried to fix this ourselves, but do you have something better for us? What is our response to Brexit? As Christians, I've had the pleasure the last sort of six months of meeting regularly with a group of MPs from every side of the house, and those sides are changing regularly. And uh, one of them is a, a guy called uh, Gary Streeter. Gary is the um, he's Sir Gary Streeter as of the New Year's Honours list, and he is uh, the chair of the Christians in Parliament uh, group. And he, I emailed him this week and said, "Have you got anything for us?" And he sent me through a fairly typically MP loaded quote, but I'll read it out because I did ask him to send it through to me. And he said this, Christians in all parties and from all backgrounds have different views on Brexit. I think we can agree on that. What we want to see is a resolution of this long-running saga, respect for the decision taken by the British people in 2016, and an outcome in the national interest. This is complicated and hard to discern, but we will keep on working and praying until we reach a satisfactory conclusion. It's a tough time for our MPs. Gary's been an MP for 27 years. He said to me, I've never known it so challenging as it is right now. When I first went to meet with this group of MPs, I was quite excited because I thought they would have all the answers to what the papers are worrying about. I discovered they didn't really know either. That we do not know what's going to happen next. There, there is no one that has clarity on what is going to happen next month or the month after that. Everyone has an opinion. And I've heard some pretty strong opinions. Every time I hear a good one, I go, oh, that's good. I like that. Then the next one, I think, well, that, that's quite good as well. You ever had that moment? You think, oh, everyone's making sense, but no one knows what the future looks like. So what does the Bible tell us? Can the Bible help us? Is there anything in a book that's thousands of years old that can help us understand the challenges of the time we're in today? The, 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 what we are facing is not new. God has been around since the beginning of time. He has seen every type of crisis you and I can imagine. He is not there in heaven going, oh, wow, how am I going to get through this one? I mean, this is going to really be tough. 
God has seen nations through crisis time and time again in Scripture, but also in our history. And I want to set us up a little bit in the time of Jesus, where Jesus himself was in an unknown season. He was living in the nation of Israel, but they were an occupied nation. And we're careful not to take this analogy too far, but they were an occupied nation by a European capital. They were under Roman rule. They were under the rule of another group of people, another democracy, another way of working. In fact, some people loved the fact that they were in that system. Many people loved the power that it brought, that they had this great empire they were part of. And the people of Rome could say, here's what you need to do. And the people in the nation of Israel would say, okay, that's what we'll do. But there was an uprising because other people didn't think that was good. They want to be free from this this kind of oppressive, this, this unwelcome group of people called the Roman Empire, which, as you know, were not just made up of Romans, but all kinds of people all over the world. They were this huge network of nations. Some loved it, some were offended. And Jesus, in the middle of this uncertainty, in the middle of this complex relationship between countries, Jesus preaches what's known as a sermon on the mount. He preached in Matthew 5, one of his most famous sermons. I want to pull a few verses from that to ask the question, how do we respond as Christians in a time of uncertainty? Let's just read together from Matthew chapter 5. It should be on the screen uh, behind me. But if not, turn to your Bibles. Matthew 5, starting in verse 38, a well-known bit of scripture for us. says this, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. This is Jesus speaking. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give them your coat too. If a soldier demands you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. And Jesus was doing this all throughout this, this message. He said, you've heard it said this, but I tell you something different. You've heard that the law says this punishment must match the injury, but I say there's another way of looking at it. He carries on in verse 43. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Non-believers do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Famous words of Jesus, where he was saying, you've heard it said there's a law, there's a rule, there's a way of doing things. I'm saying to you, there's another way. Jesus was offering a better way, a third way. When we face crisis, we have an option of how we respond. Do we get do we react and get angry and frustrated and do something against the thing we're faced with? Do we curl up in a ball and say, oh, it's just too much? 
But what Jesus is saying is that there is another way. Not just fight or flight, there is an, another way. And, and he turns around, this is a much bigger message. We could go into a whole kind of detail. The things that Jesus was saying would have been really well understood by the crowd that were listening in a Jewish nation under a foreign occupation. But he was saying to them, there's a different way of doing things. There's a better response. Just because everyone around you is saying, fight, react, or just be quiet, or just go away, or drift on. Is there another way? I want to give you quickly today five different thoughts from this short passage of scripture about how we should respond as Christians. Number one, this idea of turning the other cheek. We need to learn how to respond with kindness. To respond with kindness. So often people react to what is happening, or someone who disagrees with them. I was hearing this week somebody who'd posted something on uh, social media, and a Christian had responded because they didn't like what they'd said. So they wrote this. They wrote, I hope you burn in hell. Hashtag love wins. And I was like hearing this story going, seriously, we think as Christians we can add on a love wins bracket at the end, and it's okay. How we treat people, whether they love Jesus or not, is really important. We need to learn to respond, to turn the other cheek and say, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to run away from you. I'm going to turn and respond, and I'm going to participate to do something. We're not called to do nothing, to be doormats, to, to say, well, whatever happens, happens. We're called to engage with our society, to participate. And I think some of us Christians, we're just as bad as keeping very quiet. Oh, this is a bit uncomfortable. I don't agree with what's happening. I'll just go, and I've done it myself. I've gone, you know what, this is awkward. I don't, I don't end up being misunderstood, so I'll say nothing. But I believe we've got, we're called as Christians to respond, to do something, to find a different way of challenging the things around us. Don't react. Don't do nothing at all. But respond in love. We have an opportunity. The EU is not demonic. It's full of people. And the people of Europe really matter to God. How do we express that love of God to people, whatever nation they're born into. And when we do leave the EU or whatever happens next, we'll still be in the continent of Europe. Unless you have a great plan with a massive chainsaw and, I don't know, some oars or something to kind of get us across the ocean, we're going to still be in the geography of Europe. We still need to learn to live with our neighbors and love one another. How do we respond? And I would encourage you, if you, didn't, uh, if you haven't got involved, do get involved. Find ways to participate. If you have concerns, raise them with your, your MP. Do say something, but think about how you respond. Don't just say things that are unkind, unnecessary, and unhelpful. Think about what you say before you say. Let's be Christians that respond, engage, get involved with politics. Join a party if that's how it works for you. Have your say, participate in conversation, but do respond. Number two, I believe that we have an opportunity like never before. We have an opportunity to, in this analogy, give them your coat as well. It was great to hear from Gavin Calver last week. If those of you weren't here, Gavin is a part of the leadership team of the Evangelical Alliance that helps coordinate the voices of thousands of churches around the UK. And he was saying, you know what, eventually this will all be okay. God will find a way through it. It'll be okay. 
but we have what he was referring to as a junction moment where people are at a place of uncertainty. They're at a junction in their lives. And what are we going to do next? He said, we have an opportunity to tell people the great news of Jesus Christ. And I believe we have an opportunity like never before in our nation. And people are now desperate. And they will listen to things maybe they wouldn't listen to a couple of years ago because they don't know what the future holds. And there's an opportunity for you and I in our workplaces. And when we meet people, we talk to our family and our friends. We can actually say, do you know there is a better way? There's a third way. There is a Jesus way. There is a different opportunity available to us than never before. Our nation is in turmoil. It feels like a real harsh environment, but I think it has a potential for great harvest. We have an opportunity like never before. All we need to do is be prepared to engage, to respond, and to ask good questions. People are in need of answers. People are desperately wanting to know what's going to happen next. But we have an opportunity to say, you know what, you want my shirt, but I'm going to offer you my coat as well. You want to know what's next. Let me offer you something better, something more, more than you realize was available to you right now. Give them your coat as well. Don't just take what you've been told to take, but turn around and say, actually, can I offer you something else to consider? Could you think about this instead of just ranting about how bad life is to us the nation right now? Number three, I want to say that we should be people of hope. The church should be a people of hope. We should be carriers of hope. This idea of a soldier coming along and saying to one of these um, Israelites, say, you've got to pick up my bag and carry it for a mile. That was the rule. You had to do what you were told by the Roman soldier. They were only allowed to ask you to carry it for a mile. But for you to say, you know what, I'll take it an extra mile for you. Suddenly, that throws confusion. What, what, why would you do that for? What are you messing with my head? That doesn't make any sense. So when people are down the pub and they're moaning about the future, how terrible it is, can I talk to you about hope? That I believe in a God who is a God of hope. The God who brings light into dark places. The God that transforms and changes the environment that we're in. The God of hope. The God that goes, I've got your future. I've got a plan for it. It's going to be okay. You know, I've spoken to people over these last few years who are in desperation for their future. I put a, a always a dangerous thing, I put a social media post out a couple of days ago saying I was going to do this talk and we've got a few quotes going and thoughts going. And I love the comment that was made by um, a lady from our church who said, you know, I, when I first heard the news, I was devastated. I was like, oh, I don't know why people would vote this way. Why would they make this choice? And I was really upset and worried about the future. But then I realized that God is my rock. God is my fortress. God is the one with whom I can trust. And he has delivered me again and again and again. He will deliver me in my needs and provide for me for my future. We carry hope. And as Christians, yes, we can still be upset by the decisions being made around us. But let's never become hopeless. Let's realize that we have a God, the God of hope who we serve. Jesus was one who always cared for those who felt hopeless and he showed them a better way. If I can say this as well though, Christians in the room, don't be arrogant about your hope. Carry hope well. Do you hear me? 
Don't go around going, it's all right. I've got it all sorted. I've got hope in Jesus. Good luck with the rest of you. Carry your hope well. Share hope. It's an unlimited resource. It will not run out. If you see someone who is hopeless, say, could I pray with you? Could I talk with you? Could I offer you a better way? Can I show you hope? His name is Jesus. Let's not be people who go, well, I'm all right. I've got it all sorted. You know, some sort of get out of jail free card that we're carrying around, waving in our, our friends' faces. No, we hope and we carry that well. Live out your hope. Go the extra mile. Then in verse 43, Jesus talks about love, loving your enemy. You've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, there's a different way of working. I remember on the morning after the referendum in 2016, going on my social media feeds and seeing some of the things that people were saying about other people, I was mortified. The way people spoke, they suddenly there was a massive divide in our nation where people on whichever side they were, were pointing and saying, how dare you do that to us? And it was horrible, and it was unkind, it was nasty. I mean, watching people sort of gang up in packs, and once they found someone they don't agree with, and you saw this, and it's just like, it upset me to see people, and these are Christian friends of mine, treating one another with such contempt, with such hatred, because of a decision they had or hadn't made, or a comment they made. But Jesus says, love your enemy. Love those you don't agree with. Love them. He doesn't say point them out. He doesn't say throw things at them. But I could not believe the division of our nation. I, I, I watched as young got annoyed with old. Young people said, you've ruined our nation. Old people say, you've no idea what we've been through. As I listened to southerners point at northerners, and say, you've wrecked it all. As I watched working class people get frustrated by seemingly the power makers in Whitehall going, why are you doing this to us? As I watched a government getting disconnected from its own nation and the government being breaking away from its prime minister. Division, division, division. But Jesus said, love your enemies. Now I see some of you nodding, nodding. you go, yeah, yeah, great. But enemies are always over there, aren't they? Enemies are always distant. They're easier to love when they're far away. But our enemies are in our family. Because maybe you've got family members who didn't vote the same way you did. Who don't agree with the decisions you've made. And in this context, we can sometimes forget that people who don't agree with us come in all shapes and sizes. And Jesus said, love your enemies. Love those who are different to you. We're not called to create sides or division, or allow this polarization to continue, we should be the peacemakers. We should be the ones that go, I want to love you the way that Jesus loved me. Jesus is the God of love. He said himself to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And yet somehow when someone disagrees with us, all that well-known verses get pushed to one side and we just go, oh, but they're wrong though, Sim. They're just wrong. How could I possibly love them when they don't agree with me? 
Love your enemy. We're not called to create sides or love those that are like us. As it said in that scripture, well, how impressive to love those who think the same as you. Even the non-believers do that. But Jesus called us to a higher calling and saying, well, you love people. The people who think like you struggle to do. That would be a radical, a different way of responding to what we're seeing around us. And lastly, and I think most importantly, I want to spend a few minutes doing this. Jesus went on to say, pray for those who persecute you. Pray. Pray. If we're not praying in our nation right now, I don't know why, what we're praying for. We should be people of prayer. Our nation needs the church to pray. Our nation needs the church to pray. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, the this Church of England announced that they got the plans this weekend. They're doing some they're doing some prayer events. I love the fact they're doing it with tea, tea and prayer at the vicarage is happening, and they're encouraging. But I'm thinking, I don't care how you do it. If a cup of tea works to get you round to pray, but we need to be praying for our nation. We need to find a way to pray, deliberately pray. When I've been to these monthly meetings um, with these MPs from all parties, uh, and, and one of them from the New Independent Group, um, and we've been praying, and they've been praying, and, and, and we're just pushing into God, what do you want right now? Not what's our party want or our personal preference, but God, what are you wanting for our nation? Are we praying? And I, I remember when I've been meeting with these MPs, they've been telling me some of the stories of, of the abuse they have received from people. Unbelievable. I, I mean, if you, I mean, I follow them, some of them now on, on social media. You, you look at their Twitter feed and the hatred is unbelievable. And, and I was just shocked by some of the things that were said about somebody in a public office who's, who's committed to try and help us find a way through this. And people would say outrageous things. Unkindness, how we treat people. Even the lady that set up this um, online petition for Article 50 to be revoked. She's had death threats because she decided to create an online petition. It's now got almost 5 million people. And I, that doesn't deserve anything other than applaud for well done for doing something that you think is the right thing to do. I'm not saying she's right, but she's done something. There's nothing to go, you should die because of that. Wow, we can't respond. We need to pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for what is going on amongst us at this time. Somebody said to me recently, general prayer is often the breeding ground for unbelief. We need people who, people who pray specifically, pray with focus, pray intentionally, pray deliberately, find something to pray for and pray for it, ongoing, all the time. Ephesians 6 talks about, you know, keep on praying for all the saints at all the times. Never stop praying and pray for those who persecute you. When I say persecute, you might think, I don't feel very persecuted. But people who disagree with you, people have a different viewpoint to you. Are you praying for them? I want us in a moment to spend some time in prayer, praying for our nation. 2 Chronicles 7 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. We want our land to be healed. It's got broken. It's been damaged. It's been infected. As Christians, we need to stand up and say there's a better way. 
There's a different way. There's a Jesus way. We need to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2 says this, I urge you, first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godness and holiness. A friend of mine uh, who pastors a church um, in Loughborough, Roy Todd, said this, part of me feels sorry for the prime minister. Her challenges are considerable. Part of me is furious for the prime minister. Her judgment is questionable. Part of me is rooting for the prime minister. Her colleagues are shameful. But I'm going to pray for the prime minister, for her God is more than able. That's how we have to pray. Don't get sidetracked by side issues. We choose a God, what are you saying? As we pray for our leaders, we're called to pray for those in authority over us. And lastly, let's pray for the nation the nations that make up Europe, that we are part of. Pray for our brothers and sisters. Pray for the EU and those making decisions. 1 Peter 2, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. If I could take that analogy far, honor the emperor. (laughs) He's saying to the people of the Jewish nation, he's saying to them all, guys, honor those in authority, even though They are opposed to what you're trying to do or who you think you're trying to be. Honour those around you. Pray for Europe. Pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Let's get the band up, shall we, Um, as we bring this to an end and spend some time praying. I want to encourage you over this next, not just week, because I thought it would be five days' time, but it could be a, a few weeks. We don't really know, do we? I want to encourage you to find somebody that you disagree with and go and spend some time with them. Don't do it online. It's unhelpful. Go and find somebody. A cup of tea or a pint of beer, whatever works for you. Go and find someone. Have a conversation. And ask them this. Ask them the question, what are you fearful of? What are you fearful of? And let them ask you the same question. Because fear brings out our worst characteristics. When we are fearful, we react rather than respond, rather than love, rather than pray, rather than use the opportunity that God has given to us to make a difference to those around. We react to our fear. Find someone who disagrees with you. Sit with them. Look them in the eyes. Ask them what they're fearful of. Explain your vulnerabilities. And then pray. Let's see if God can heal our land through conversation one at a time. Maybe a cup of tea if you're more Anglican pint of beer if you're a bit more out there I don't mind but let's find ways of connecting with other people crossing divides and saying actually God loves all of us the same he doesn't sit there at Brexit on one side of the fence or another he's praying for his nation and the nations of Europe he loves his people for more information about Freedom Church please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.